You know what chaps me more than anything about your move to Denver, though, is that in two years, you're probably going to be a better skier than me. It re- <laughs> like, it really, it really bothers me. Really bothers me. I, I can hear that and see that, and I would be lying if I told you that wasn't one of the first five thoughts I had when I realized this thing was happening. So, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to, to show you the ropes and, uh, you know, bring you along as my, as my Padawan as you did for me. So um, I'm, I'm happy you, to be able to return the favor. I hope you break your clavicle. <laughs> <laughs> I have already broken both of them. So three lights, four lights, five laps. Pause. Go, go, go. He has been told to come in lap after lap after lap. And what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it. Stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George. Try and straight line it. Get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton. Oh, no! Hamilton goes straight on. This is quite appalling. This is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. What is going on here in tonight? Ladies and gentlemen, Unqualified is back. Uh, this is Graham. I'm joined by Gerald, who I must say has a little bit of a twinkle in his eye tonight because, ladies and gentlemen, in fact, his days are in Philadelphia are, in fact, numbered. Gerald, how are you, buddy? You got an update to share? I'm great, man. Yeah, life is uh, life is good. Heading off to Denver. I, I felt like I was getting shit from my recording locations so many times, whether it be Philadelphia or Ithaca or somewhere in Maine, and I, I felt like that was primarily my motivator is I just needed a better recording city city. So thanks for the, uh, thanks for the push, man. Well, here at unqualified, we are, uh, we are an equal opportunity employer. We will be happy to, uh, happy to let you record from anywhere in the country. So man, you can work, you can work remotely here at unqualified. Yeah. Unlike, you know, other, other employers that won't be mentioned (laughs) again. Um, so, uh, a wet race? Well, first off, let me just say we have a lot to we have a lot to cover. I personally myself forgot when I clicked on the race at eight a.m. or nine a.m. Oh, I'm sorry, nine a.m. Thank you, FIA local to watch. I forgot that I had never actually seen a race at Singapore as a fan. Really? Yeah, because I I came to the sport post 2019, so this was actually mm. my first time ever watching a Grand Prix in Singapore. What was your? I guess start there. What was your first impressions? I was a little bit underwhelmed um, because I think I was expecting... It was weird. It was a race full of... Like, if you look at the number of DNFs in the race, it was full of carnage, objectively, right? Like, how many cars finished? 14? But it didn't feel like a race that was full of carnage, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, Because I don't think there was any... There was hardly any car-to-car collision. It was all basically single-car accidents and... Um, yeah, I mean, there's also just not a lot of overtaking, you know, wet races are typically only exciting to the degree that they lead to unpredictability in the pit windows and also cars coming together. And I think them delaying the start and letting everybody start on enters nullified a little bit of the pit window drama. Um, and yeah, you just can't overtake, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, I I was a little bit underwhelmed. What say you? Yeah, look, I think, I think. Singapore is, as Max said, a bit akin to uh, uh, Monaco, albeit, I think, far better for racing. At least you get some measure of action, but typically, rain aside, 
it's one of those tracks where far more intrigue happens throughout practice and and qualifying and so much of the race comes down to who can pull out that that exciting unexpected lap at the end of qualifying and and that sets the precedent for the for the rest of the race but that being said this one was a rainy weekend throughout both qualifying which had a lot of interesting evolution from the start um on intermediate tires ultimately to slicks later in the session same thing in the race wet race in singapore albeit maybe not as wet as it could have been which we'll talk about in a moment um but really as you said most of the consequential moves coming off of the starting line admittedly um, you know, Perez gets his fourth career win after taking the lead from Leclerc off of the line. Leclerc had a great challenge throughout two safety cars, but unfortunately never regained the lead. Signs similarly beat Hamilton off the line. Uh, and, and again, while Hamilton had a great challenge throughout the race, ultimately, uh, went head on into the tech pro midway through the race, ultimately leading him to, to finish in ninth place, uh, needing a, a new front wing. Meanwhile, McLaren with the the really stellar weekend, uh, much to your chagrin, finishing fourth and fifth place, uh, and really both of them getting off to great starts off the line. Norris taking Alonso off the line, Ricardo getting I think th- three positions off the line. They were and both really, lined up on the non racing line, right on the left side. I believe so. Yeah, I know and, Norris was. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then really Ricardo again. McLaren strategy playing here. Splitting strategy. Ricardo he got a lucky long. safety car, man. He right. he lucked out on safety car timing. I like, some say luck, my, some say strategy. You this know? is my don't crown Ricardo uh, soapbox, but I, how, that's not recording crowning Ricardo. If anything, that's crowning McLaren as having both a good strategy weekend as well as good mechanical you know, success. Well, yeah, mechanical success relative to a team who had both their drivers' engines blow up before fifty percent race completion, and and literally in one weekend completely gave away their entire lead to McLaren and the constructors. Like, you want to talk about a bad month for Alpine? Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, I, when it rains, I mean, it pours, man. Literally, and and similarly, I mean, reliability being the key factor as well for Aston Martin finishing sixth and eighth place stroll in front of Vettel this weekend, really just from the fact of having a, uh, not making any major mistakes from a driver standpoint and having your engine hold up throughout the duration of the race. Those two drivers were split by Verstappen who started eighth, but finished seventh. And in no way does that tell the story of the race. I mean, he was up and down the grid multiple times. Um, and there, as we said, Hamilton rounded out the points in ninth and Gasly, uh, in 10th. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about Singapore. We did say it was rainy. Um, and, and I heard that really with the rain, it was as disorganized and chaotic as Italy was. Oh, wait, no, that's not true at all. Uh, that being said, Gerald, I think you're forgetting that Singapore, uh, has Apple pay and basic infrastructure. (laughs) Just a well-functioning society as a whole. Yeah. (laughs) I know Um, you're trying to trigger me, but I (laughs) I don't need to relive that. Thank you. Well, uh, just to push on this a little bit more, because I would like you to relive this hypothetical scenario. You were really distraught after the last race. Worst experience of your entire life. And I just, I think it's a good moment to reflect on the fact that it could have been worse. So maybe just, if you could play that out for us, if, if you had seen the same weather conditions, 
in Monza as there were in Singapore? I mean, hypothetically, what what sort of scene do you think uh, would have played out on the ground? I don't even know what to equate it to, uh, apart from potentially like, you know, the Battle of the Somme. Uh, <laughs> like, that's the only thing I can think of is just straight up trench warfare would have been the only thing probably worse at that point. But I will say, had we woken up and it had been raining in Como, there is no chance we would have gotten on that train and gone down there. So that actually probably would have been a bit of a godsend. We would, we would have probably attempted to sell our tickets and just not gone. So I kind of wish it would have rained. <laughs> well, we talked about it a little bit, but given the, the quality of the racing, I mean, do you think Singapore itself, aside from an exciting rain race, is a is a boring track, if you will? And and should they make any changes if if possible? I heard something interesting in post-race commentary, which is I I think that in old car regulations, we liked street tracks more because we had to rely on them for the excitement that normal racing wasn't capable of producing because cars weren't able to follow each other well on traditionally made tracks and in high-speed turns. And so you needed heightened risk to keep the sport mm. entertaining. Um, I think that the aero regulations may in that regard actually then be working against street tracks. Not because the racing is objectively worse on the tracks themselves, but it is worse in comparison to mm. better racing on traditional tracks. And so to some degree, Singapore might be suffering from that. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, let's be honest. Anytime you get compared to Monaco, that's not great. And also... There's only one reason Monaco is even still on the calendar, and it's because it's Monaco, and Singapore is not Monaco. So I got to be honest. The other thing that's screwy about it is like, have you heard the whole thing about how the teams they all stay on Greenwich Mean Time basically when they go to Singapore, so they're all sleeping during the day, and that's why the race is at, because the race is at night. Like everyone that works for the teams and mechanics, ever they sleep during the day, and then they're basically just awake all night. And so like, there's these crazy stories of just like seeing people do random shit at like 3 a.m you know, around the race facility. Like, that's also got to suck, like, just to have to travel there and, like, go through all that for, like, a night race. I mean, at least Suzuka's during the day in Japan. Like, well, I, it's just kind of weird that they don't adjust because, I mean, you're in the same general region. Why don't you adjust to do Singapore accordingly and then do Japan? But I I, I guess the, they like the intrigue of the night race and it's easier to stay calibrated to that but that's got to make that's got to make japan hard to to adjust over the next week let me let me put it in a different way i think that a fixed version of singapore is baku and we already have baku on the calendar so why do we need singapore you know like you can have two out of three sectors on a racetrack be incredibly slow and technical and risky but you've got to give yourself an opportunity for overtaking in the third sector. And that's exactly what Baku is. And I think that that's the type of street racing people love. Um, yeah. You have but, to enable somebody to close the gap throughout the early portion of the lap, have the long straightaway to still enable passing. And that's where you actually get some more meaningful manipulation of like the energy recovery system, because you saw that with this race of Leclerc following late in the race, I mean, he was as close as a car could possibly be. And the straight was just not, it was, I mean, it was what, 50 meters, 100 meters short of him being able to actually make a pass. What do they call that? The Constantina effect, where it's fundamentally harder to overtake on, an, on a slower speed exit to a turn. Um, I, 
Yeah, Baku's perfect because the the exit onto the home straight is actually a relatively high speed turn. So not yeah. only do you have that massive straightaway, but you also have the ability to exit in a slipstream at the beginning of that straightaway. So it's more than that. Well, time. this one has a reasonable like set of, a turn complex that maintains a pretty high speed going into the straight. So I think that works for it, but well, I still think the yeah. straight is a hundred meters too short. And if it was well, just that little bit a lot longer, I think you would have seen Leclerc past Perez. And then well, I think you would have had like, a really exciting back and forth between those two, because I think Perez would have been able to hold the same gap and come back at him. And you just were seen, you were kind of robbed of that like perfect back and forth that you saw um, very early in the season. Well, but the other thing is that the, that turn one turns into turn two right hander so quickly that you really can't outbreak anybody on the inside of turn one, because then you immediately lose the position on the next turn. If you don't basically get it, like you cannot go into that turn side by side. It yeah. Whereas you're saying like, does do it so. actually advantageous to start on the inside at that because of that left, right complex? But it's like, well, not, not really because if you're actually side by side, you're still disadvantaged going you, into you, the right. You've right got to win before the turn, turn one happens. Otherwise you're not going to maintain the position on the exit at two. But I think yeah. that that can lead to some pretty interesting, like back and forth as well. But I, I, I think you're right. It, it does. Baku is superior, I think, from that fact that you have that nice long straight. That being said, I think Singapore is still one of like the coolest looking tracks, like the Definitely nighttime racing, cool. getting a spot at that hotel to overlook most of the tracks oh, would be just cool like, a stellar experience. Again, big fan of developed countries, big fan of developed <laughs> countries. So, yeah, I'm not I'm, I don't disagree with you there. Developed countries with high quality infrastructure. <laughs> oh, like yeah. General appreciation for service and efficiency. I don't give a shit about healthcare. I just need good infrastructure. <laughs> I don't care if anybody here is insured. <laughs> um, all right. Well, as we as we alluded to before, the race raining on upon start, significantly delayed. I think it was an hour delay, a little bit more. And by the time that the race ultimately started, the the t- the track had dried pretty significantly all the teams went on to to intermediates albeit hamilton was questioning the team decision that they should have started off on on full wets but it seems like the team the the FIA waited so long that the wets were irrelevant and and the track had dried a lot do you think they waited too long <sighs> i'm of two minds here but i think okay so I think I alluded to this to this at the beginning. I, I I would rather them just start the race when the race needs to start. I think having uh, the potential, especially for a slow drying track, particularly in a night race, to have to go wet to enter to slicks is super compelling from an entertainment standpoint. Um, I don't buy this whole thing about driver safety being the reason why they can't start on wets. Like we didn't just invent that as a new standard for some data-driven reason in the last five years. Like we've had more years of history in F1 where the precedent was you start when you start unless there's like literally flash flooding and that's why the wet tires exist. So from a pure entertainment standpoint, start when you want to start. Like unless there is literally like flooding on the track, which I don't think it was the case. The counterpoint to that that I think also has merit is in a cost cap era, maybe FIA feels some responsibility to just not basically have total carnage ensue on the track. And let's be honest, had they started on all wets in Singapore in a downpour, 
five of those cars are not surviving the first lap, at least, right? But to me, it, it's like, again, like, I like to see driver challenge. I like the entertainment value. So for me, what the FAA could do is they could they could just be like, look, the race is going to start when it's going to start. Our criteria is that we just can't have flooding and like flooding on the track. It's we got to know that it's draining and that there's not going to be just like rampant hydroplaning on the wets. And every time it rains, we'll increase your basically budget allocation by a prefixed amount based on your high propensity for damage. And everybody just go racing. Like, I don't know why we can't solve all those problems at the same time, but this delaying the start just seems like a cheap fix that basically removes an entire set of variables from the sport um, that I think it will be missed. So what say you? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the the drying speed is an interesting factor because yes, would I love a race that goes from wets to inters to slicks? Absolutely. But I think if you started the race any sooner, you probably would have had a race. If you started the race on time, you wouldn't have you would have had slicks. a race that went from wets to intermediates. You would have never yeah. gotten to the slicks. Maybe there's a window if you delayed it 30 minutes that that's true in the last X amount, you know, last 10 laps, it would have been worth it to go to slicks. Maybe, but I don't think because of the speed of drying on the track, you would have gotten that anyway. I think this track was kind of interesting too, because you only had a couple of sections that even as wet maintained significant pooling and caused drivers challenges, right? You saw a lot of areas that seemed far more manageable. And there was like two sections of the track where it continued to be an issue that if you, that you kept you from being able to truly go to, to slicks. Um, So I think that made it, more difficult as well. I also think the dynamic of doing it on a street track is different than doing it on like a traditional circuit. I am far more accepting of racing a wet race in spa where there's gravel, where there is runoff areas because drivers can make a mistake that doesn't totally disrupt the race with a red flag. You know, they, especially if it's tarmac runoff, they can rejoin the track, but they probably lost at least one position. So there's still a penalty. I think the risk is so much higher in, in a place like Singapore that you end up just getting a bunch of red flags and the viewing experience is significantly diminished. Anyway, you end up running off on time. And so it's just a boring race regardless. And, and so I think that's like a balance of based on the track type, do we need to play it a bit more conservatively? hundred percent agree. The cost cap certainly probably factors into it as well. The other thing I, I think is a, as a major factor that's evolved over the last number of years is just the car design. The car is bigger. Certainly now with the regulation changes, the tires are bigger. And so therefore with wet tires, water displacement is more significant. And so you have a, a larger spray behind cars. So even if you start on wets, all you end up getting is everybody getting spaced out because they can't see whatever distance in front of them. And so you just have wider following gaps and everybody's just waiting for drivers to make a mistake. So like my buddy gets so mad every time there's like a delayed raid race, he's fucking apoplectic about like how this is <laughs> bullshit and he's never watching again because, you know, that's it. It's why the fuck are we even doing this? I thought these drivers were professionals. Like they should be racing in the rain. It's like the overall quality. He, it just becomes an the old buckle your chin strap speech. Yeah. Like, you know, exactly suit up and do your job. And I just think it, it becomes an impossibility when you're talking about whatever is 40 liters of, um, 
second or minute, some crazy number of water getting displaced behind the cars. It's just not, it's, it's not feasible. The risk is so high that you just get red flags. And then the experience isn't any improved just because they're racing in full wets. And so that makes me wonder, like, do they just need to retire the wet tire and say, we, we can't race because displacement is so high that you can't follow. Like it's either enters or not. Yeah, perhaps. And maybe that is. And honestly, like, and Hey, everybody's all about sustainability now in F1 kill an entire part of the tire allocation. That seems to be a pretty, pretty good way to drive sustainability. Um, I mean, yeah, Seb earlier in the season, I think it's Pa called the wets undrivable. So, um, I mean, when have we really seen them used? When has there been a race this year where everyone has gone out on wets? I don't think so. Like we're more or 50% or more of the grid has been on wets. No, I mean, I'm sure there's definitely been like before th- this year. No, I don't think so. Last year, there was like the spa race that ended up getting called off. The Monaco formation lap, maybe. Yep. I think there's been some early use of like in pre in recent seasons, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's drivable. It's not raceable. And so if we want good racing, you probably can't race in those conditions anyway. Oh, dude, he's going to kill me when he hears this take. He's like, you're a fucking cop. You're a sellout. <laughs> Which, fucking so narc. the nature of the, the, <laughs> the nature of the race, however, ultimately led to ending under timing rather than full laps. What's your take on the races ending under a, a, a clock rather than the 61 laps that were allocated? I don't like it. Um, I don't know enough about why the two hour time limit is there. I don't know if it's just related to like the TV deal or they just, you know, they have to cap it somewhere kind of thing, but it's more of a byproduct of the fact that Singapore is just such a long lap. And so it's just like, and it's such a slow speed track. It just takes a long time to get to the race distance. So, um, I mean, I, I did feel like the race was dragging on. I mean, geez, when they got to lap like 36, I was like, holy hell, like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah we're only halfway here yeah i mean it was it felt long so yeah um i can't imagine what it felt like to the drivers um yeah yeah it's interesting i i think part of it is tv deals i wonder how much of it is just like logistics as well look an hour can't make that big of a difference but it's a pretty large operation that you're packing up and shipping around the world and so maybe that's a factor as well but look i think it led to some interesting strategy implications i mean most importantly ricardo ending on the softs you think oh it has x number of laps remaining well you're not getting to those laps anyway like oh i think it was 24 laps he would have had to do on softs but in all reality it was 30 minutes so it was 15 laps and so i think it led to some interesting decisions and there again i think mclaren made a good call on how to take advantage of the unique situation well it would have led to more interesting strategy decisions if you know the FIA would have had the nuts to announce the Perez penalty in an actual timely manner. And then we would actually had action towards the end, but nope. Well, yeah. So let's talk about that. Let's give a little bit of the fact base first. As far as I understand it in the FIA's final decisions, they basically highlighted three instances in which he trailed the safety car by more than 10 car lengths. The first was on lap 10, the first safety car. And the their report indicated that he was reprimanded for this. Now, many people look at that and say, oh, he was given a warning and therefore that was his like first instance. At no point on on the team radio did his team come on and say at all 
that the FIA was looking at anything, that the FIA had decided anything. Yeah, there was no the, notification of the reprimand that. is purely a retroactive thing. Like when a driver does something in practice or qualifying and then say 100%. driver was reprimanded, that means they made a decision after that, that stint and they've issued this thing. And now we're telling you after the fact you did something wrong. We're reprimanding you, but that was no, there was a warning during the race. Then on lap 36, as a part of the second safety car, both at turns 9 and 10 and turns 13 and 14, um, they called those the the second and third infractions, if you will. Now, on the team radio, there was some mention of mine the safety car. It was not But it really obvious. wasn't an explicit, it, there wasn't an explicit, like, hey, you're lagging, you need to maintain a 10-car gap. He basically was on, like, watch your distance to the safety car. Yep, exactly. That was it. Yep. And then on 13 and 14, again, the gap was very significant. It was like the whole, it was basically queuing up to allow for the whole straightaway to go at speed, drive side to side, warm up the tires and actually get some temperature into the brakes at the end of the straightaway. But given those, given that sort of series of events, do you agree with the overall decision on the penalty and then let's talk about sort of the timing and the delay of the decision itself. So do you think it was right that he only got five seconds for what were ultimately three infractions? Yes, I think five seconds is appropriate. Um, if I think memory serves me, I, I, don't don't you remember that race? I don't remember where it was, but Vettel had a infamous five-second penalty post-mortem, like, after a race where he lost basically a win to Lewis Hamilton back when Ferrari was competitive in, like, 18, maybe. I believe that was Melbourne when he went wide, yes. went into Hamilton, cut him off, switched the signs from first to second because he got the five-second penalty. Yep. Well, that that was that one, but then there was one, maybe maybe it was back when his, in his Red Bull days then. I don't know. But there was a – Sebastian Vettel has gotten a penalty for this. So this specifically was, and I don't know how the hell people remember this kind of shit, honestly, because I can't even remember what happened this season. I believe you're referencing the 2010 race in Hungary yes. in which he was in second place behind his teammate Jensen Button, who I believe was leading in the championship with Alonzo behind him and leading into the the start straight right as the safety car was going in, he opened up a significant gap in front of him between him and button. And as a result, he got a drive through penalty, which like, yeah, was which more serious more than punitive. a five second penalty. Yes. Yeah. So I guess I don't understand. Now it was a long time ago. So I guess I don't understand, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not qualified to judge the history of that type of infraction and know if they've, they've kind of penalized it consistently or not, but putting that aside, Based on the optics of the race and how much I feel like it affected the race, I feel like five seconds is appropriate. Um, and I say that in full recognition that if he hadn't been able to open up a gap, he would have lost the race, and that would have really sucked because it still wouldn't have felt like he deserved to lose the win. Because he, but he if it was ten seconds, right. he would have lost the race. Right. So I guess the thing that I I don't like is I think that the FIA is giving them first off. I don't know what they need to hear from the team or the driver to make the decision. It's objective. You either broke the rule or you didn't, especially when it's related to the safety car. So what could possibly matter that you could hear from the teams that would make it okay? Therefore, why do you have to wait? I think for me, uh, 
them waiting to adjudicate it is just the FIA showing that they don't have the balls to 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 give out a penalty that they think may influence the outcome of the race. They wanted to know whether they were going to or not. And I think there is a serious argument to be made that if he had only opened up a three-second gap to Leclerc, he wasn't getting penalized. Like I, 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 Part of me honestly thinks that the FIA was just trying to do whatever they could to not impact the outcome of the race. And that is not... That's not how you should apply rules. So, yeah, the delay overall is what pisses me off about it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the delay for a penalty decision. I also think the delay on like the nine ten incident because I, I again I don't know what the the requirement is from like a I do believe there is an escalation protocol in which there is a warning and a first and a second right, and I think it becomes more opaque in the fact that if you didn't do it in the moment and provide a warning on lap 10 that you created too large of a gap. And if you do it again, you're going to get a penalty. Then you can't really penalize him on the next instance, which is really the first one that presumably he's really aware of. Right? So I think their delay in not saying something the first time is what created sort of the downstream effect of it only being five seconds versus 10 seconds. And then I think in terms of the ultimate impact, I agree with you. I think, should have been a five second penalty. They should have also been able to announce that during the race because probably that means Leclerc is not attacking Perez as significantly as he was just like Hamilton. didn't saved it. Exactly. Just like Hamilton didn't attack Vettel as seriously as he did because he knew he just needed to finish five, five seconds behind. And so Leclerc would have been able to save his tires. He would have probably, I would say, albeit impressive how Perez was able to pull out the gap as, largely and quickly as he did i have to I was assume not it's, expecting that i wasn't either but i have to think it's in large part as leclerc exhausted his tires keeping the gap as close as he did for as long as he did whereas if he knew that a five second penalty was coming he could have maintained that gap stayed two three seconds behind him saved his tires and ultimately won the race and so i, I do think it's more an issue of timing on the first panel reprimand warning, whatever you call it, and timing on declaring a five-second penalty and allowing teams to adjust their strategy accordingly. So, they, yeah, it, you're either going to enforce the rules or you're not, follow the escalation protocol or you're not, and do it in a timely fashion and stop this end-of-race bullshit. And look, if you were looking to hear what the conditions were like, you knew what the conditions were like. It was wet. It was rainy. The safety car was driving like slowly. That. Like, it's like that family, the family guy, Ollie Williams, weather, black year weather reports. <laughs> What's it looking like out there, Ollie? It's going to rain. Thanks, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's like, you know, you know what it looks like. So make your call and, and have a decision for, does that change if it's wet or not? The other thing I'm confused by is like, why the hell is the safety car driving so slow? And does it really need to be a, a, an Aston Martin or a Mercedes Gullwing. Like, can we have a real race car out there if this car can't go fast enough to like sustain the braking and tires of the the F1 cars? It's not that. They just have to back the pack up, man. That's the whole thing. Like, if you had a car that was going that much faster, it would take so much longer to accordion the the grid back together. Like, they have to go slow to get the cars back together. You don't think an F1 car versus a car going 60 miles an hour can't close the gap in a reasonable period of time? Uh, I mean, it. 
I suppose it could. Maybe it's a little different in the rain. But let's be honest, dude. They're just trying to get that sponsorship money. They just need to get that Aston out in front, rolling along, looking good in front of the F1 cars. Look at hey Aston leading the pack. Yeah, get that That's sweet a, stroll a, money rolling the, in. The only way that they're currently leading the pack, but good for them. <laughs> hey, you take when you can get it. Um, leading the team in safety, like Subaru. All right. Let's move on from uh, Perez, penalties, etc. Other big news off track, cost cap controversy oh Here we coming go. to a T. You're a big spender. Why don't you go first with your take on this one? <laughs> not yet, I'm not. Um, look, under review, financials of teams, word is Red Bull, Aston Martin, most likely the teams to have exceeded the cost cap. Um can I just briefly comment on the fact that it's wild to me that this has gotten as much steam as it's gotten without a verifiable quoted source anywhere. This is like literally all layered media hearsay and commentary without anyone called out specifically. I'm not saying it's not true, but there's literally not a quoted source anywhere on record for any of this, which is wild to me. Like, I mean, case in point, looking at ourselves, who actually needs facts to form an opinion? Oh, I just, well, obviously, but like literally one German auto publication came out with this article, didn't name their sources last week, and then everyone just lost their shit. Like, completely lost their shit. Well, look, it's not the first time we've seen massive investigation predicated on unfair, viable sources. So, I mean, if it can happen in major national governments, why not? That in- really, God, that comedy <laughs> yours just now felt like it had a political undertone to it. It made me feel kind oh, of Oh, no. I, no, I, I, no. I feel slimy. I, no, I, no, I, of course not. There was are no political... <laughs> Are you are you actually moving to Mar-a-Lago? You're not moving to Denver, are you? Yeah. You're moving. In so it's the uh, it's the German Autosport dossier. Is that what we're <laughs> we're basing our our reporting off of? Oh man. Anywho, uh, you, you were bound to get you were bound to get caught up by the FBI at some point. Only a matter of time. Um. So look, overall, I think I mean I'm most intrigued. It sounds like the margin is going to be pretty small, five percent. I'm most intrigued by like what what is the nature of the overage, whether it is just explicit overspending or if it is more about like interpretation of the rules and how yep. X type of spending to Y subsidiary gets counted towards the cost cap or not. Um, so that's what I'm most intrigued by. But look, I think if if a a team exceeds if they don't if they are not more punitive in how they crack down on this, right? The potential penalties being maybe it's a fine, maybe it is a loss of wind tunnel time next year, maybe it's some deduction of points. But look, I don't know if a deduction of points or wind tunnel time is any is significant enough to disincentivize a team to break the rules, right? If I can exceed by 5% on points for a 5% overage on spend, well, hell, that's a pretty small margin on a points differential. That's worth it to me. If I think that I can get a benefit this year to win this year and lose wind tunnel time next year, but I've I've created a better development foundation upon which to use a more meager development program in subsequent years, well, that's a that is a a penalty worth taking because I'm front loading my development basically. 
and and benefiting for it in the current year as well as subsequent years. And so uh, I do think it creates some perverse incentives if they they don't crack down pretty seriously. That being and I think Ferrari made some interesting points of how can really? you have an Ferrari infringement? made some interesting points. I, you know, you got a broken clocks, right? You got God, you're a you fucking traitor. <laughs> but I do think they, at least from their perspective, it's hey, we've been deeply engaged with the FIA throughout the entire season, throughout the process. Dude, deeply engaged with the FIA, Ferrari gets like a hundred million dollars from Formula One every year for no fucking reason, just because they're Ferrari. They're not deeply engaged with Formula One. They hey. are like literally fucking hey. them every Tuesday night. Separate like, issues. Money oh in, money God. out. No, they're not. Separate Those issues. Are not separate issues, dude. Separate sides of the of Ferrari, the cost Ferrari is not an objective third party observer in this, and neither yeah. is Mercedes. So like, Debits let's and credits, my friend. Get, Debits and credits. Just get that out of the conversation now. But please go on and tell me what funny yes. man Bonato said. But I think if if <laughs> if the teams have been closely tethered to the FIA in terms of how to interpret, how to imply the cost cap rules throughout the season. It does make an interesting case for why is there the gray area for interpretation? Why are you not seeking clarity rather than forgiveness later unless you were intending to act in a nefarious manner? Gerald, there is room for interpretation in the U.S. Oh, gap surely. accounting standard. And it's and that, rife with fraud, I'm sure. No? Yeah, and that and that framework has had large companies shoving reporting through it for 30 fucking years. They've had that much time to refine it, and it still has areas for interpretation. Do you really... Th- okay, like, your first question that you pose is a good one, which is, is this an issue of just blatant overspend, or is this an issue of, like, a misclassification of some type of write-off or expenditure or a question about interpreting a standard that has led to different classifications of a certain accounting standard or expense. It's obviously the latter, which I'm not surprised by in the first year of these financial regulations. I'm not saying that Red Bull wasn't behind the scenes doing financial engineering to try and figure out the most advantageous way to classify their expenses. But guess what? So was every fucking team. If you put Ferrari and Mercedes financial statements up against one another, There is absolutely no way they would be 100% consistent with each other from a methodology standpoint. That is not achievable in the first year of those financial regulations. So I don't disagree with what you're saying about this whole, like, you got to set a standard, you got to make sure teams don't think they can get away with this calculus every single year. But, like, also, you can't just, like, over in an overly punitive manner, slap a championship-altering penalty on a team in the first year that a regulation has been applied, like unless it's that blatant, but to me, I couldn't possibly see how it would be. Do you really think Red Bull is dumb enough to submit independent? By the way, their financial statements were independently audited before they ever gave them to the FIA, guaranteed. So Toto Wolf can go go fuck himself with his. I don't think Christian talks to his CFO bullshit. Like, are you kidding me? Like Deloitte probably audited those things before they went to the FIA. So like. Enough of that. But I like there is no way that Red Bull knowingly submitted something that added up to more than $145 million in those statements. It has to be an issue of interpreting how you classify certain expenses and some financial engineering therein, which I got to be honest, every team probably did some of. So to me, man, this is a giant fucking nothing burger. 
And I am sick of listening to my brother, who's just an absolute Mercedes homer, who was butthurt that Sir Lewis Hamilton made a mistake on Sunday, literally just fall back on this as his one hope and dream. And this is now he just sees a pathway for Lewis to get his eighth world title without even racing another race. And I'm just like, dude, you like just get lost. That is just the most absurd thing I've ever heard. They will penalize them. It will be reduced development time on a go forward basis, probably. But for them to do something retroactively that is championship altering in the first year of these financial regulations, if it's not just blatant, like Jordan Beltfort slapping hundreds into the air overspending, that is that would be ridiculous. I'm First off, how many listeners do you think are deeply engaged in the nuances of cost accounting methodology? <laughs> Just Gerald, you and I don't bring a lot to like this equation. Just generally, as just the like, general Formula on One interpretation. But, yeah, but but I do happen to know a few things about corporate accounting, so I feel like we gotta we gotta really we gotta yeah. leverage our expertise where we can. We gotta lean in here. This is, this is I know. I, I knew I knew when I threw out U.S. Gap. Like there were a couple nerds out there that kind of like went from six to midnight, but most people he just knows shit. Checked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy. Maybe I should hire this guy as my financial advisor. I would not recommend that first and foremost. <laughs> he's got a he's got a caviar taste. Um, oh man, Solana to the moon. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um yeah, I think it is an interesting allusion to US gap government versus private corporations as they operate today, because certainly you would have to assume all of the teams have some sort of big four accounting partner. And have consulted them to a more a closer degree than probably the FIA, i.e. the government, has oh, done one hundred percent in terms of crafting the actual regulation, right? Dude, and so the interpretation. The, can can I just briefly comment on that? The overspend in Red Bull's budget was probably the money they fucking paid to Del- Deloitte to audit the things. That's probably the overspend. <laughs> probably paid those guys five million dollars for that audit. Sorry, I cut you off. No, you're good. I yes, I, I think if if rumors are true, again, unsubstantiated rumors are true that it is a five percent margin. How much did that really add? Certainly, people are going to say, "Well, that's a couple of tenths every million." For, I have a hard Ferrari time. Literally said half a second of pace. It's, somehow they came up with that fucking number. That's like when the U.S. Budget Office tells you how much they think a bill is going to accrete to in savings twenty years from now. It's like, yeah, all right, I'm just going to go ahead and piss in the wind. Like, get out of here. Something like Bullshit. the Inflation Reduction Act, right? That- yeah, it's like none of you have a freaking clue. You're all just pissing in the wind. No idea. Yeah, so look, I think the teams probably are well-informed. I think they're probably confident in their statements. And look, admittedly, they probably received very interesting guidance on how to effectively interpret and therefore maximize the rules to their benefit. Of course. Which I think is another interesting layer of F1 that you don't, it's kind of like what you see in terms of contract manipulation in other sports, but I think to a more fascinating degree, right? You saw rule interpret, like development rule interpretation with Mercedes a couple years ago in terms of their, um, their suspension system in terms of how they could get more temperature into the tires, right? The DAS system. And so you see it in the engineering side is interesting to also see it on the business and accounting side, even the accounting side is sort of uh, a battlefield by which teams can can grapple for any minor advantage that they may have. And so, to the point of, 
do they get an advantage because the rules are new and there was a little bit of wiggle room and they can get a sort of a an enduring advantage by having better development in first year? Absolutely. So it's a question of, well, why didn't other teams employ that? Why didn't they expend some of their money on a consultant to find legally acceptable loopholes by which to maximize budget efficiency? So at, well, time will tell. I think middle of this week we should we should know. So it'll be curious to to dig into that a little bit further. But it's interesting to hear your brother talk about somehow that's going to change the balance of power for Mercedes. Maybe for Ferrari, but I mean Mercedes is so far out of it at this point, especially after this weekend. I, I don't understand what the what the concern is for them. They, they don't have <laughs> Dude, a hope to begin with. I, I can't listen to Toto and Bonato fart into a megaphone on this anymore. <laughs> like it is, it is just in one ear out the other. This is just another platform for all of the political fodder of Formula One. You know, if you if you listen to Toto talk, it's as if Christian Horner like fucked his mother. I mean, it's like literally, it it's just like way out of hand. Then this is going to end up being a giant nothing burger. You can quote me on that. It. it People just have missed Formula One for three weeks, didn't have anything to talk about, so here we are. Silly season kind of quieted down. I also think people are, uh, admittedly, they're they're feeling a little nostalgic for the days of intense controversy between Horner and and Toto of of last season, and so there's a there's a deep seated desire to drum up the same sort of controversy, which which has led to an interesting movement on the on the interwebs of the. Bring back Massey movement. What? What say you? <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Uh, Dude, do you think it's time for is, a, a Massey no, re- resurgence? I honestly, Michael Massey, wherever you are, hopefully in some beach town, uh, he's probably listening to all this stuff, just grinning ear to ear. He's just kind of like some things. Some some things never change. You know, the longer he's away from the sport, the more sympathetic I think people will be to him. Uh, but yeah. The one thing I, I, I have to say is they they moved away from it this year because I think it was only the one season where they really gave clarity into the 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 conversations between the race director and the the team principals. I honestly think that that was an overcorrection because if you think about this race, having the transparency of knowing when they made calls around the Perez safety car, what the FIA responded that would have provided a a whole other level of intrigue and admittedly on races that are not that interesting, getting to see all that behind the scenes shit, I think is again, that whole other layer of the sport that F1 has that other sports don't have. And, and I, I just, I hate that they moved away from that because admittedly that led to some of the best sound bites, the best controversies, the best intrigue of the entire season, like the nuance of the conversation and like the political positioning between team principals and the race director was fascinating. And and I think this was just another race where that would have been interesting. I mean, think about the whole calls around the 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 loose end plate and like should they come in should they not come in like i just i wish that was there was more of that and massey did a phenomenal job he was like a, a great character well Christian, and and we missed I've that clear this accident first i i i think that um first off what, I, I, what what nationality do you think oh, michael massey you. is to have oh i thought you were right my australian <laughs> yeah. oh is that is that what that was that australian <laughs> oh okay <laughs> It was a, it it was a it was a hybrid Australian Russian 
Uh, ah, okay. Right, you went, you yeah, went very for common, it. <laughs> very common breed. Yes. Uh, I, um, I, uh, oh shit, now you lost. You, you knocked me off my train of thought. Michael Massey, uh, Team Principal Radios. Oh, 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 oh. I agree with your, I had, that's an interesting take that they overcorrected. I think the better uh, solution would have been cut the team principals out of it. Only race director can get on the comms. And then the other thing that I'd never thought about, which was like patently ridiculous about the old system, is that they like forced Michael Massey to like be on the other end of the phone. Hire the guy like an admin. Like hire him <laughs> yeah. somebody to like take the fucking calls. Like he doesn't have to be the one that picks up the phone. I just need to like hear like, you know, the team principals, or I just need to hear the race directors like bitch, and then I want to hear messages get delivered back. But I don't need like live dialogue between the guy who's like actually making the decisions. Like, yeah, I, 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 I uh, first off, I love the live dialogue. I disagree. I think the back and well, forth was the best the part. Live- However, imagining him like running the switchboard as his like screen <laughs> lights up with all He's the got- fucking lines. <laughs> they, 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 they have. They'd have like a your wait time is five minutes and thirty seconds. He's clicking the button. <laughs> Hello, this is Michael Massey. Yes. All right, Toto, go ahead. Line two, this is Michael Massey. <laughs> yes. I it does seem odd that he's the one running the, the call switchboard. The switchboard. But the back and forth is tremendous. I mean, like, do you think at what point do you think Michael Massey was like a call center employee that he's, he's like, like really leaning on those, this experience? Those old analog plugs, like the World War II switchboard, <laughs> just like moving them around. <laughs> yes, I I enjoyed visualizing that. I think they should bring that back. I think the race director, while they probably don't appreciate the extra scrutiny, becomes like an overnight celebrity. And look, I think if fans which given the psychotic nature of F1 fans, as we've come to know them, (laughs) it makes this an impossibility. But in a world in which we give the race director slightly more grace, simply for the fact that they become a more transparent character in the drama of F1, I think is a phenomenal thing for the sport. And while it probably won't happen, I think it would come back mainly for the fact that they, Michael Massey, along with Latifi received a gross amount of death threats um, because people are nuts. Um, the, The sport as a whole is being deprived of an intriguing element, which I hope they reconsider, but I'm highly confident they will not. Yeah, no, I, the racing gods won't let it be. So, all right, you want to move on? Yeah, let's, uh, I mean, of course, as we need to, given this is the tail end of, of quote unquote, silly season, let's do a, a quick hit on driver lineups still unsettled. We had a, a couple of key teams, Haas, still thinking they, they pretty much locked in on Magnuson, which given the fact that the man has more end plate damage and front wing replacements than anybody else on the grid, I'm still confused by this fact. But a couple of names floating, Schumacher, Giovinazzi, Hulkenberg. We got Williams, DeVries, potentially Schumacher if Haas kicks him to the curb or any number of F2 drivers. And then we have Alpine, which, albeit probably largely settled on Gasly at the moment, but again, maybe DeVries for his good showing um, has a has a place to play there. What? Um, who do you think's going where and, and why at this point? All right, here's my full round, Robin. Uh, I currently think Mick Schumacher stays at Haas. 
Uh, Hulkenberg goes nowhere. I think he's like the popular name right now for the hot seat, which to me is just like a cheap guess because he's just kind of always been there. Um, to me, if you're Haas and you sign somebody like Nico Hulkenberg and you don't sign somebody like Daniel Ricardo, you're an idiot. Um, DeVries goes to AlphaTauri to replace Gasly, who goes to Alpine. And then, obviously, Latifi is out. So, I I think there's a decent chance Williams may go get somebody like Logan Sargent out of F2. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, that would, that would be a move that's totally based on the fact that he's an American, but you know, Hey, people get seats in this sport for, you know, reasons outside of merit all the time. And he's had a pretty good season. Was he third, third in F2. So, um, and then I think Ricardo's a test driver. At Mercedes. Yeah. Why, why your take on Schumacher versus, versus Hulkenberg? To me, that's just like a zero sum trade like I don't sure like it could Hulkenberg step in this season if probably done better than Schumacher yeah but like you've got to still have somewhat of a go forward expectation that Schumacher will continue to improve and to me it's like why are you going to replace him with a guy like Hulkenberg whose story is kind of already written um that just seems I don't know that just doesn't seem helpful also you're gonna probably have to pay Hulkenberg more so like, I, if you're going to go pay a premium for a driver, you might as well sign somebody like Dan or Ricardo. Oh, no. Oh, by the way, McLaren's going to pay his fucking salary anyway. So, like, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know why you'd go get Hulkenberg. I can't. I really can't see a good reason for it, other than the fact that he is, is alive and has recently driven an F1 car. <laughs> I love your your use of – you really infuse the accounting language throughout this entire episode on a go-forward basis. Really, a, you see Mick as more of a, of a going concern, if you will. <laughs> Jesus, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that was more of an insult than you realize. <laughs> um, no, I think it's an interesting. I, I think they would be foolish to move off of Mick. I think he's done a fine job. Look, Magnuson has some interesting pace at times. He has this like higher ceiling, but he also has this proclivity to just he he lacks the precision necessary to make it a whole race without a stupid mistake, right? Um, where I think Mick's shown a, a really high degree of cleanliness. He's shown some sparks of quality. Maybe does Hulkenberg come in and be better? Sure, maybe. But you're right. I don't see the ongoing nature of that. And and to your point of Ricardo as a reserve driver, look, because he's already getting paid by McLaren, I think he's foolish not to tra- take a drive this year. What is the point of being a reserve driver at Mercedes? He's oh, never, yeah, especially and if also, Lewis is going to race for another four years. Like, Yeah, if he races for four or five more years, Russell's been great this year. He has no seat. And why would Mercedes even use him as a reserve driver and not get some other Doesn't F2 make talent like Drogovich once DeVries actually has a drive? Like, It makes zero sense. If he takes a year off or even as a reserve driver for a year, his career in F1 is finished. At least if he takes a drive on Williams, he has a chance to prove himself against Albon. If he outperforms Albon, at least he has a chance for a drive. Likely he doesn't outperform Albon, and but you at least have the opportunity. If you sit as a reserve driver, you have no opportunity. You're just hanging out, getting paid not to have a drive just to be close to the spot. Like, why wouldn't you want to be in the car? Even if it's a Williams, even if it's a Haas, I, 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 I just, it's an absurd 
it, yeah, I, I don't get I mean, it. You haven't he, earned a real drive this year, so you get a backmarker. Do you want a backmarker or not? If if he was going to take a test driver role, I think actually the smartest place he could do it would be at Red Bull and basically hope that Perez tanks next year. And that, but like I, what I'm saying but is But it like, doesn't matter. Even if he does, you have potentially DeVries. You have Albon. At this point, I'm taking either of those guys over Ricardo. I, I'm not saying any of them are high probability scenarios, but I'm just saying that objectively... If that door's the, open... The test driver seat at Red Bull makes more sense than the one at Mercedes if both were open. If your if if your goal is to just dice roll with a yeah, because they're not getting rid of Hamilton, he's been strong. You're certainly not yeah. getting Russell after this year's performance. So Perez yeah, in the, terms of net net opportunity, yeah, Perez is the bigger question he's, mark. He's the least certain seat of all the top three teams. He is. Yeah, I think that's fair. Hmm. Um, Time will tell. We should know pretty quick here. Yeah. Um, we will. I think we should move on to the teams real quick. This isn't a traditional segment that we have, but I have so many pet peeves in general. I felt like maybe this is something we could test trial here. And also it's not really a discussion topic. It's just merely an observation that I've had over the last couple of weeks. So All right, I'll go, I'll go on mute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you could just entertain me here for a moment. I think one thing that has stood out, especially as Max is about to like lock in the championship. I can't, for the li- like uh, this pisses me off people's stupid obsession with calculating all of like the contingent scenarios by which max is going to officially win the championship look at the man's lead whether it's this race or the next race or the next race he fucking won already he won three races ago but like the whole calculus well if he gets third and leclerc gets 17th then he fucking wins who cares like oh yeah and i just like like, (laughs) they're all like oh now he'll get to win at japan that'll be great because of honda and i'm like you think max gives a fuck about honda (laughs) like no nobody cares they even went (laughs) and i think the thing that solidified the need for me to talk about this this episode was at one point on the during the race they have the graphic pop up because he's like ninth place or whatever it says Verstappen will not win the world driver championship today. It's like cool fucking story, dude. Like, great. Like, thanks for that graphic. Like, what the hell are we even talking about? It's just this excess focus of when does someone truly lock it up. And not only that, but like the fact that we need to have 15 scenarios about it. Give me the top line scenario. Like if he gets first, if he gets second, it's like, well, if he gets sixth, Leclerc gets ninth. Then he still wins. I'm like, okay, none of those things are going to happen. Sure, Singapore happened, but look at the rest of the year. Like, it's absurd. I, I think he find another hobby. It's great, but like, who's building these fucking models? Like, come on, guys. My prediction, anyway, is that Max is going to win because he's going to be in the top three of a race where Charles Leclerc also is, and then Ferrari is going to DNF. And he's going to, and he's going to lock it up. Exactly. It's like you looked at all of like the, the scenarios in any given race, rather than doing more of like a probabilistic model of what is the probability of max finishing outside of the top three in any of the next races. And therefore the probability of him not winning the championship. Like I almost wish they did like Amazon analytics like the odds of him not winning the championship are like 0.001% rather than he'll win it in Japan if he gets X and Leclerc does Y. Like, 
you look at the whole season, there's almost no scenario at this point in which he doesn't win the championship. So, you know, tomato, tomato. I do. I, I, yeah. I, okay. <sighs> Thank, thanks for that. Yeah. It's, we have a, <laughs> it's good. We have about five minutes to get through the teams. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad we spent the, the other five on that. that personally, that was very uh, fulfilling. So I'm glad we did that. All right. Let's hit the teams. Red Bull, mixed weekend overall. Perez wins from second, fourth win overall. Verstappen, uh, really a rough qualifying due to the fuel sort of issue, needing to make sure that he had a liter of fuel at the end of qualifying. Right call by the team. I guess well, the big... Well, hold on. To be fair, wrong call for not seeing it earlier. Right call once they finally recognize their mistake. Yes. Correct. Yes. They should have either finished the preceding lap or known that that was going to happen and make sure he hits a lap better. But look, he kind of messed up the preceding lap and that lap time wasn't going to get him on pole anyway. And so he needed another lap. So look, a surprising... A surprising weekend for Verstappen in which Perez really struggled throughout all of practice and then really brought it together in qualifying. The master of the street tracks prevails once again, whereas Max, surprisingly, you saw some uh, you saw some instances in which, you know, him coming out, he was not able to just put up the fastest time straight out of the gate like he has on many other instances. So uh, especially in a rainy weekend, a little surprising, uh, admittedly. Thinking about the team, though, um, and, and look, Max throughout the weekend started a bad start off the line as well. He ended up dropping off to 12th before moving up the grid, which was very impressive. I mean, he was the he was the intrigue of the race. He was the one making passes on the track. So credit to him for making the race exciting, but ultimately made a mistake being way too aggressive, trying to pass Norris on a safety car restart, ended up sending him further back down the grid once again um to where he, he he finished but look Perez great weekend held off Leclerc perfectly managed the gap played great defense extended the lead when he anticipated a five second penalty in your opinion how important was this win for Perez um it's important I don't think it was everything I don't think he was you know I think it's not like he was under fire at risk uh, especially for next season, but definitely a confidence booster for sure. I mean, I don't really know what to make of his, the delta between his street performance and his traditional track performance. I This gave me no confidence that that was going to change, you mm. know? Um, so, yeah, sure, it's important. Um, and it was impressive. Look, I mean, there were not a lot of guys out there that didn't make a lot of, mis- that didn't make mistakes, and Perez... You know, seemingly I mean, didn't make one all race. No, and he's also like looking other than down at you know his, other than a safety car margin. Well, three yeah, times, but, but it's like he's also looking down at his delta on his steering wheel and getting Charles Leclerc's lap times in his ear every other lap, and so like he had distractions and he didn't make a mistake. So full credit to him. Um, it was super impressive drive, but I, I don't know if in terms of like the scope of his career, how he's going to be defined at Red Bull. I don't think this is like some transformational race by any stretch. No, I think it was a good confidence booster. It means a lot in terms of the the race for second in World Driver Championship. And and so now he's he's neck and neck, just two points off of Leclerc. So, I mean, look, Max has it wrapped up by and large. Um, while they only gained two points on Ferrari, 
or they only lost two points to Ferrari this weekend. I mean, they're up 137. So constructors locked in max is locked in. This is the cherry on the top. If, if they go one, two ultimately. So good showing for Perez. Let's see if he can, he can bring it home. Um, only other question I have for you on, on the, on Red Bull for this weekend was, uh, a lot was made of red. We, we talk a lot about team radio, right? Um, it's good behind the scenes action qualifying, needing to abort what would have been a fastest Ma- lap. Max said a bad word on team radio. And Max said cried. a couple of bad words, very aggressive, very hostile. He was really, he was really bitter throughout the entire weekend. And arguably that bitterness carried over throughout the race weekend. I don't know if that led to his failure on the race start, probably had something to do with his aggressiveness on the, on the restart with Norris what's your take overall on, on Max's composure? It seemed a bit like Max of old in terms of his, his aggression, his, his, uh, impatience. You think it was fair given the mistake of the team or, or, you know, was it a little stomach churning watching that this weekend? Couple flashes of immaturity, if I'm totally honest. Um, I, I was shocked. I was a little surprised at how mad he was even after the race about the qualifying mistake. Um, because I've had this hypothesis about him the whole year that he's been more patient in races because he knows he's got, he's playing the long game and he's got a lead. He didn't act that way. Uh, he didn't act like he had that perspective after kind of the team screwed up for him. Um, so I think he does need to chill with that a little bit, have a little bit more grace for a team that's otherwise executed flawlessly for him all year and done nothing to prove that, but anything but that then they can get it done. So, yeah, I think he probably got a little bit rushed. And I mean, he did congratulate Perez after the race. So, you know, but I, yeah, I think he probably got to chill a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the thing that stood out to me is if, if Matt, the team overall has been phenomenal this season. And if Max had to endure anywhere close to the level of idiocy of Ferrari, uh, he would, he would go insane. And so I, I think he needs to give his team a little bit more credit. It's also surprising that he, he wasn't able to consider in the moment. What were some of the drivers, like his, his shock and confusion. Like there's only a, a so many reasons by which they would tell you to abort a fast lap like that. And so by which if you had to start from the back of the grid versus eighth, like, I think one would know that's a better trade-off. So yeah, it, it was a little unfortunate to see. I, However, I do like the element of they should hold me accountable just like I should hold them accountable. I think there's a better, more mature, more articulate way to do that this season. He's shown a lot of growth, but look, the man was on a flyer. He was headed for pole. He would have locked up the championship, I believe, right, with that race. So I guess you can understand some of the intensity, but yeah, it it was a bit unfortunate to see. (laughs) All right, let's talk. uh, Let's talk Ferrari. Look, unfortunately, uh, no, no real, no real drama, no real mistakes to talk about this weekend. Look, they started first and fourth. Unfortunately, once again, Leclerc loses a pole position uh, to finish second. Uh, Signs finished third. Signs is now just one point off of Russell in the battle for fourth. Um, and the team in this race alone nearly doubled their constructor championship lead over McLaren, or I'm sorry, geez, Mercedes, which now sits at 66 points. So overall, a really strong weekend for them by and large. 
because of no glaring and embarrassing mistakes on their behalf and mostly Mercedes failures. Um, but look, Leclerc, unfortunately, lost the position straight away off the race start and unfortunately can never regain it. Meanwhile, signs looked really scrappy throughout the entire weekend, but was able to put a, take Hamilton off Got the line and finish on the pa- podium despite really lacking in pace relative to Perez and Leclerc. I mean, after every safety car, the gap was like significant, just a few laps into the race. And so that was a little bit surprising. But from your perspective, what was your take on Ferrari? And, and do you think they successfully locked up second in the constructors with this race? I'm not ready to say that because of how catastrophic their failure, how capable they are of having catastrophic failure. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a fine weekend for him. I think Leclerc definitely got hurt by the side of the grid he was starting on. Um, he got off the line, but then he kind of had some wheel spin in the second phase of the start and Perez got him. Um, Hamilton had kind of a similar issue, uh, right behind him. So, um, yeah, I think there's a strong case to be made. He had a little bit of bad luck and if it, you know, starting line dynamics have been different. He could have gotten the lead and then kept his race track position and probably won. So yeah, this one was really, you know, on the, on the razor's edge for them. Um, so yeah, good, good weekend overall. I'm still a little bit, um, I heard a little bit even in qualifying of like this kind of lack of conviction about like what tire strategy that I think is right. And they'll occasionally get overruled by their drivers and like let that be okay. But then occasionally they'll overrule the drivers. They're not really consistent about how they defer to one another. So I still think they lack a lot of confidence in race strategy. But some weekends they don't pay a price for it. And this was one of them. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, Leclerc would have won had the FIA actually enforced some rules. And, you know, given Leclerc or given Perez's justified 10 second penalty, we'll move on Um, with that. Let's let's move to Mercedes. I mean, well, Ferrari will probably win the constructors in 2021 if they get the level of penalty applied based on the cost cap that they're asking for right now. So and justifiably so. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. They really earned that. Yeah, they, def- they definitely deserve the win this year. With that um, fucking right. nose cone on that old car that looked like a camel toe. It was ugly as hell. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm not sure how to respond to that. But, uh, <laughs> came out of- Speaking of pet peeves. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's let's move to Mercedes. Really all in a, a nightmare weekend for them. Um Look, they they finished. They started off third and the back of the grid, and finished ninth and back of the grid. Uh, Russell struggled throughout the entirety of the weekend. Really, his first poor weekend of the season, um, barring Silverstone, but qualified eleventh. Um, started from the pit lane, given taking new engine components. Um, he was also throughout the race, the first to pit for slicks. Um, so again, bold decision, trying to go to slicks, do something different, really did not work out losing multiple seconds per lap. Um, you know, went long in a corner, trying to pass Botas, had some damage with Schumacher questioned over the radio. You know, what is Schumacher racing for his life here? Uh, yeah, George, he is, he doesn't have a multi-year deal. That's the exact same thing I thought when they said that I was like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he is, uh, unlike you. So, I mean, what we're trying to race here. What the hell are we talking about? And then yeah, after the fact, move. really not taking any accountability for the contact with Schumacher. Meanwhile, Hamilton had a decent weekend early on, topped FP1. More than decent. More than decent. Well, I mean, just finished poorly. The weekend 
prior to the end of the race or halfway through the race was stellar. Was Should great. have arguably had a chance at pole. Um, yeah, and, for sure. and unfortunately in his, his pursuit to pass signs went long one corner, hit the wall, needed a front, uh, a nose cone replacement, front wing replacement. And, and that ended his race really in ninth place. But other than that phenomenal weekend for him, but team only ending with what two points. So, and now in my opinion, really barring, I guess, any highly likely Ferrari failures, um, puts the, puts the constructors championship a bit out of reach, but what was your reaction uh, from Mercedes, given the kind of surprising lack of performance overall, I, I the Russell thing to me is like bad weekend, couldn't get the car underneath you, weird conditions, different kind of track. Uh, he's been so consistent every other week of the season; it's kind of hard to extrapolate what experienced this weekend and 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 draw conclusions. I think it just had a bad weekend. Um, Hamilton was on it, man. He just made one mistake. Uh, they, they suffered, you know, they, they've not been a team that's warmed up their tires very quickly on dry tracks. They especially suffered from it on a wet track. So clearly Hamilton was struggling, which I think is a challenge that would uniquely affect you in a race, even more so than qualifying, where you've got, you know, blankets and kind of control it more in the garage. So, you know, I, I think he raced as well as he could have on those tires and given the tenses of their car plus one mistake. And on a weekend like this, it's, you know, hard to be perfect. So. Yeah. I think Hamilton fine. The biggest piss, the thing that pissed me off was just Russell, right? Like when Hamilton makes a mistake, he's immediately on their radio going, sorry guys, I fucked up. You know, that's my bad. You're not seeing that from Russell yet. So again, yeah, well, relatively young. The, I, I think you pick on George Russell a little bit unfairly. I do. I do. Literally every, almost every driver on the grid is a bitch that doesn't accept immediate accountability for things on team radio. Literally every single one of them, except for possibly Charles Leclerc, who just like whips himself, you know, to he like he's in there, he's in the cockpit like pulling his own eyelashes out, <laughs> like to punish himself when he like stupid, scrapes the wall. Stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> yeah. But other than him, like literally no one else takes responsibility for their shit on the grid in the heat of the moment. So I don't know. I guess I guess cool cool off with that. I guess that level of self-flagellation just resonates with me. So I I naturally gravitate towards Leclerc and and Hamilton. So um, (laughs) nice. All right, let's move to McLaren. Uh, I know you're excited. Can we just skip McLaren? I really like we've already talked about it at the beginning. Sure, they had a great weekend. They stumbled into it. All the rival teams basically went out, DNF the race. They got some good strategy calls. They had some luck from the safety car. Neither driver made an obvious mistake. End of story. Ricardo still losing his seat. What you don't think he made a compelling? You don't think this was a compelling application on Get Ricardo's the, part? Are you kidding me? Are you? Oh my god! <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with that, man. No, this is I. No, absolutely not. Uh, well, the, if that's the case, then let's move on to Alpine, which I think should be just as quick of a story. Squandered a great. Alonzo qualifying uh, to double and albeit Ocon, not a great weekend from practice and qualifying, but double DNF two engine failures. Um, I mean, has any team squandered more points this year, particularly for one driver than, than anyone else? I think Alonzo afterwards said he's lost 60 points this year. I mean, yeah, Uh, look, I mean, nobody's had a worse month or two month stretch than Alpine. So this uh, may be the lowest point of them all, which is literally coughing up 
basically a 30 point lead for fourth in one weekend, <laughs> which it doesn't get much worse than that. So, um, I, you know, I think that they're still obviously better on a relative performance basis when the car's on the track than McLaren. So they should be able to beat them out for the remainder of the year. But I mean, both those cars blew up at almost the exact same time. So not good. Last question I have on Alpine. How excited are you, given your aversion to the French, to oh, see the Alpine team, Ocon, and Gasly collectively experience this level of failure next season? I can't wait for them to just chew each other apart. And 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 supposedly the source of the hatred is because one of them like had sex with the other one's girlfriend. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. It's apparently like very personal. Dude, bring on the inner team destruction. They are going to absolutely implode that team from the center, and I cannot wait. I can't wait. Well, we will certainly stay tuned for that. I mean, just to close out, I mean, the rest of the teams, Alfa Romeo, look, Joe, he was kamikazed by by Latifi, Botas, fine race, um, yeah, finished. Aston Martin, on the other hand, Stellar performance from them. They just capitalized on the failures of others in front of them after their um, qualifying. And then AlphaTauri, uh, unfortunate big mistake from Sonoda again, going deep into the wall. Uh, meanwhile, Gasly unfo- unhappy with team strategy. Um, and Haas, look, Magnussen once again, front wing damage, lap one. And Schumacher bearing the brunt end of some... Russell aggression. So um, them probably not as great as a weekend as they were hoping as well. And then closing out Williams, unsurprisingly double DNF Um, Latifi bringing another driver down with him. At least when Albon fails, he only ruined his own race. So um, yeah, I guess with that that guy out of here, one question. No, look, 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 look. Latifi gets a lot of hate, but Look, he is a guaranteed safety car every race, which if you think about it, in a boring race, what you need is some safety car action to spice things up. So is Latifi actually the best thing to happen to Formula One? And and then last year we had Mazepin, who was even more, he was more than a guaranteed safety car. He was a guaranteed. He's a lap one safety car. Yeah, he was. So, yeah, when he's gone and then Latifi's gone next year, you know, and all we have is a bunch of skilled drivers on the grid minus Lance Stroll. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure w- w- how we're going to have entertaining races. It's a fair point. We might have to throw some oil on the track in certain spots. I'm not, First know. off, I agree with the take overall. Two, I'm not going to stand for any more Stroll hate. Okay. Oh, I, look, get the f- look, out of here. I man. have been. I was in that he, camp for a long time. But he you took has... one trip to Montreal, and you're you're basically <laughs> on socialized medicine. Get the hell out of here! Look, he's beating Vettel once again. Can the man? Does the what does the man got to do to get a little bit of that credit? That says more about Vettel than it does about Stroll. Oof! I, I, look, I, I guess we'll find out next season. Is he game to take on Alonso? Admit to me right now, you will give Stroll some real credit if he outperforms Alonso in any races next year. No. On merit. Okay. On merit. If if Stroll does if Stroll wins 25% plus 1 of qualifyings against okay. Alonso. I will get 
a Canadian maple leaf tattooed on my ass. 25% plus one maple yep. leaf tattoo fucking yep. deal. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll go to, I'll go to the freaking place like a black for me. The guy is apparently really good. So I'm <laughs> I look, I wasn't expecting any sort of deals that I didn't even have to obligate any sort of commitment to. So fuck. Yeah, I'm up for that. You heard it here first. I'm looking forward to that, that maple leaf tattoo. Nice. Wow. That, that went way better than I expected. Fuck if he yeah. wins more than a quarter of head to head qualifying deal. Oh, all right. Wow. I'm going to jot that down. Fuck. Yeah. I'd actually <laughs> prefer you to get that when you come out to Denver. All right. That's next fine. quality. Next, uh, next ski season. Um, okay. all right, let's round it out. Personal podium DNF of the weekend for me, personal podium. Look, I got to give credit where credit is due. Gave him a lot of heat, but this weekend, Ferrari, if albeit a low standard of no obvious fuck-ups. So, well done. How about you? Is that a whole podium? What do you mean? Ferrari? I thought podium had three. Two, three? They got two, three this weekend. That's my that's my podium. Who was number one? When have we ever... We've never given three people on the podium. That's what literally what about? I've done every single week. No, bullshit. <laughs> I got the notes, bro. Show me the week. I'll, I'll go to the tape. I'm not sure what you're talking about. You don't Round remember, it, like, re- I would say Hannah Smiths, Hannah Smiths, Hannah Smiths. I'll, I mean, I'd at least say it three times. Creative. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe just... I'll say it for you. The, the Singapore as a country for demonstrating what a quality GP should look like, albeit in adverse conditions. How about that? I would say personal podium slot one goes to Singapore for their use of Apple pay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Slot slot two. um, Oh, interesting. Uh, Yeah. Bullshit. You thought of three things any weekend. I just didn't prepare for this segment. Okay. So just chill for a second. Uh, I mean, I have to go Perez slot two. Uh, undeniable, didn't make many mistakes or any at all. Um, and then number three, Danny Rick. No, you know what? I'm gonna say, uh, uh, Zhou Guan Yu. Uh, is it Guan Yu Zhou? Sorry, I got. I'm getting it backwards, aren't I? Look, we don't. Nobody expects us to really know either way. <laughs> So I know I he got it's taken Joe out, Guan Yu. but 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 Joe being but, the, yeah surname. So he outqualified. He's sneakily begun outqualifying Botas every week, and that was Botas Forte, right? Everyone said, "Oh, yep. great qualifying." Yep. And he has only had DNFs when somebody else has cleaned him out. I think he is sneakily having a great year, and uh, yeah. So just throw a little love to him on a weekend where he didn't even finish. Just want to recognize him. All right. Now, albeit he only outqualified him by one position, but hey, give the man some credit. Um, All right. DNF. DNF of the week. I got to go. Mr. Kamikaze himself, Nicholas Latifi, taking out. I'll be great qualifying. Poor Guan Yu Zhou. You know, he, he had a very poor start off the line, dropped right behind Latifi, trying to get by him. Ultimately, you know, his greatest failure was ending up in the race nearby Latifi. And other than that, I got to give it to Russell. Terrible performance, zero accountability. How about you? 
I got to go Bonato for his collusion with Toto Wolf on the cost cap conspiracy. As if, like, your participation in this is going to cover up the fact that you've literally shit your pants every week for the entire <laughs> season as a team principal. Um, I'm just not into the smoke screen on that, and I don't think he has earned a seat at the the table to drive conspiracy against Red Bull. So, um, yeah. Bonato, kindly go fuck yourself. All right. On that note, let's move to Japan real quick. Let's talk about the track, look ahead, team predictions. Look, when we look at the circuit, interestingly, because of its position on the calendar, 12 of 35 races, Japan has been the deciding race in the the driver's championship. If Max wins this race, he basically locks it up, from my understanding. And so it could be a 13th out of 36, so pretty much 33% of the time. Um, In terms of the track itself, look, I, I think overall it's a very balanced track. It's got a a reasonably long home straight before a sort of a double apex turn one and two going into some high speed, you know, a a five turn complex. Then it's got a got a couple of basic. What do you mean? It's a figure overall. Yeah, it is. Yes. And it's a very abstract figure eight Um, after the five turn complex. It goes into a, a couple of, you know, tightening right-handers it's got a very sharp turn 11 um and then it's got some after banking. the got some banking after the 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 double apex spoon turn it goes into a very long straight with a high speed left-hand corner into the final apex so i think it's got something for every team and therefore i think pretty well balanced for the likes of red bull and the high speed bit mercedes and sort of the high speed turns and then ferrari in a in a couple really sp- slow speed corners but I think comparatively, I, I see Ferrari struggling the most on this. It doesn't really suit them well relative to the likes of Red Bull and and Mercedes. And so I, I think this is a chance for one, Red Bull to lock it up with Max and maybe Mercedes to, to outperform per Ferrari on, on race day. What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm uh, super excited to watch my first race at Suzuka, first of all. Similar to Singapore, it's not one that I've... You know, I've, I've raced it on the simulator. Um, I, I really like it. It's I love the drivability of the track. It's This it's is my favorite point. track to drive on yeah. the sim, other than it's, maybe like Austria, which is just kind it, of an easy race. It, yeah, it's got a little bit of everything, man. Um, keeps you thinking, but it's also fun, and it doesn't feel like it's impossible. It has flow. Um, so, yeah, and look, I, I would put, you know, in terms of race attendance, I would put this Grand Prix up there amongst the bucket list of places to go. I think the Japanese have like a probably really underrated like race culture. I think they're great fans. I bet you because they're Japanese, they actually have attention to detail and they put on a great event. Oh, they, uh, those trains run efficiently. And those, you damn right you those trains on, are going to be on time. You bank on that. So, uh, yeah, I would love to combo a Japan, you know, trip with an F1 race. It's part of the world I've never been to. I'd love to go. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm really... Amongst the remaining races, um, I'm probably most looking forward to this in Interlagos. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Well, time will tell. It should be a good one. Looking forward to it. But like my prediction. Oh, yeah. Are we going to go to predictions? Yeah, I guess we should go real predictions. Well, my prediction is basically that Max Leclerc are going to be running 1-2, and then Leclerc is going to DNF for the World Championship victory. That is the only way the season can end is for Max to lock it up as a result of like a DNF in the last 10 laps. Hmm. 
Interesting. The only way it can end is a Ferrari mistake. It would be. It would. It would be right. It'd be poetic for the end of the year. I I don't disagree with any of that. I I think we're going to see Hamilton on podium. I think he's coming into form. I think he's got sort of balance with him and Russell between the the car that they're being given each weekend. And, and I think he shows up. And in that case, I think if you're calling a Leclerc, uh, DNF, I I think that could potentially put Hamilton into second. So I think, I think a strong weekend for Hamilton. I don't hate that. I think that's a good, I like it. Dude, I'm just excited for this tattoo. That's going to be fucking great when Stroll just embarrasses you. Okay, if you feel strongly about it. I are you just going to get the outline of the maple leaf, or are you getting the whole Canadian flag? I'll color it in whatever color you want, buddy. I'll pay for as many colors. You can make it a rainbow maple leaf for all Ooh. I care. Wow. All Don't right. care. It's not happening. Your original bet was that Stroll just had to win one qualifying session, and now you feel confident that somehow he's going to win a quarter of them. Or more, which is not happening. I just baited not the hook. Happening. I just baited the hook. Boom! You bit. Oh, beautiful. All right, my friend. Well, that was more Should than I was you ever a fan of the art of the deal. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll see you all. <laughs> we'll see you all after Suzuka. Have a good one. Looking forward to it. Peace. Peace. Peace.